Flip over to Jeremiah. We're going to jump in. I'm not wasting a whole bunch of time of intro except to say, as always, you can hit us up and we'll tell you how to come join us if you want to come tonight. This is not um, church. This is me unpacking the scripture that we will discuss tonight when we come together uh, for West Church in our home. I can give you directions how to get here. We are in Tempe, Arizona, and would love for you to come join us. Give us your thoughts, man. Tell us what you think about this and uh, be part of the discussion of God's word. It's his word, not ours, but we want to come together and talk through understanding what he's saying. And uh, it's always exciting. Last week, it was really cool. I had some things pointed out I hadn't even caught before. Not to say that I got it all figured out, but you know what I'm saying. I'm uh, Even as a pastor, I'm learning every time I sit down with this crew. So love for you to join us. You can find us online multiple different ways, but yeah, hit us up um, and we'll tell you how to get where we are. So we've been doing this series, Is God Among Us? Not one of us, but among us. Just have a few more of these, then we'll do Easter and then we'll change direction. I'll tell you about that when we get a little closer to it. But uh, we're continuing this today, Is God Among Us? The theme has been Revelation 21.3, which says, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. Um, the title that we're sitting on this week, looking in Jeremiah, is God among us putting his words, uh, his word in our words. Is God among us putting his words in our words? Um, not that we're trying to say that we take his words and make it mean whatever we want. We're not, I'm not trying to say that. But what I'm saying is that our words adjust to align with his words, okay? That the things that we say, the language we use becomes influenced by his word. And his word becomes the subject of our words. Uh, straighten all this out, man. Sometimes I get all bunched up over here. <laughs> but uh, his I mean, I'm sorry. His words become the subject of our words. And then our focus, uh, our love for his word is expressed in our words and what we say and how we say it. And and very important thing to note here is that we begin to quote his word and not just adjust it for relativity's sake. Yeah, I said it. We're not just trying to make his word relevant by changing it or or making it prettier or making it softer. We are quoting it. What did he say word for word? So let me read Jeremiah chapter 4. I'll read what we're going over today and then we'll jump in here. I'm sorry, Jeremiah chapter 1 verse 4. It says, Now the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. Then I said, Oh, Lord, Lord God, behold, I don't know how to speak, for I'm only a youth. But the Lord said to me, Do not say I'm only a youth, for to all to whom I send, you shall go. And whatever I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you to deliver you, declares the Lord. Then the Lord put out his hand and touched my mouth, and the Lord said to me, Behold, I put my words in your mouth. See, I've set you this day over nations and kingdoms to pluck up and to break down, to destroy and to overthrow, to build and to plant. Let me pray. Lord, your word is amazing. Um the whole point of today is what I so frequently pray and and am praying again now that your word remain your words that I don't put 
uh, words into your mouth, but that your words are put in my mouth, Lord. I pray that whatever it is that your word has to say is what we want to hear and what we hold on to and not anything that I have to say, no matter how persuasive or um, fancy it may sound. I, I don't want that. I want to hear from you. We ask these things in Christ's name. Uh, amen. So, imagine, i got to put those glasses over there. I'll fool with them the whole time. Imagine uh, if you were away from your family, maybe if you're military or something and you're at war, or maybe you're in prison. You know, neither of those is a pleasant thought, but just bear with me. Imagine you're in one of those places, have been for a while, and you can't read. Okay, you've never learned how to read. So put yourself in that position really quick. But now you receive a letter. Somebody brings a letter to you from home. And you want it read to you, obviously. But you want it read to you accurately. This is from home. This is from my wife. This is from my little girl. I want to know word for word. I want to hear every word it has to say, that letter there. And if the news is good, you might even jump up and hug the guy who brought it to you, you know. And if the news is not good... You might be angry, uh, run away, walk off, cuss even, who knows. But either way, you're not actually upset with the guy who brought the letter. You would, or, or filled with joy over the guy who brought you the letter. You're more, uh, in tune. You're celebrating more about, you're responding to the one whose words are in the letter. That, that's the thing that you're focused on. So today we're looking at a time when God came to Jeremiah with this powerful mission that he has for him. It was created specifically for Jeremiah, but it would only be possible for Jeremiah by having God's word rather than his own and following God's direction. It's the only way it would work. And, and so today I want to encourage you to see it the same way. His word is our greatest tool. His word is our greatest tool to accomplish the greatest greatest mission ever, ever. That you, if you're a believer in Christ, are part of. Not only that, you were created for and chosen for uh, by God. And that's to speak the gospel Proclaim the kingdom of God, speak the gospel, and make disciples. That's what's up. So I'm going to pull this apart almost like a sentence here, rather than maybe a basic outline. So first of all, when when God's word challenges us, our words aren't good enough, but his words are more than enough. Okay, that's the way we're going to pull it apart in three little sections. When God's word challenges us, our words aren't good enough, but his words are more than enough. Quick background, Israel's moved now from bad to much worse in their rebellion and their idolatry. Um, and God's patience has now reached its limit. And he's about to raise up Babylon to crush and exile Israel off the promised land that he'd given to them. And he calls Jeremiah to be a prophet uh, and speak for him during these last days, those last days of time as they were being exiled. Imagine... What bearing that word would have been like. Imagine that. So first of all, when God's word challenges us, look at verse 4. Now, the word of the Lord came to me saying. So the word approaches saying. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. 
the word of God, the word of the Lord there, that's that proper name, Jehovah, Yahweh. The word of the Lord is a person. He came and he spoke. Came to me and spoke. Now, why do I keep harping that it's a person? Why am I believing that it's not just a voice from heaven? And that's arguable. But I believe it to be a person of God, uh, the Trinity known as the the word of God, that person. Uh, I give you a lot of reasons. We've talked about many of them. I'm not going to go back into all of them now except maybe to say John is one of the best cases. In John chapter 1, he mentions that the word was with God. The word was God. He mentions the, in the same chapter the word becoming flesh and dwelling among them. Um, he also mentions that him, the word, created everything. He, the word, created all things. So here in Jeremiah, when it says, I formed you, it's not I, Jehovah, formed you. It's literally, I, the word of Jehovah, formed you. Uh, You could say the Son of God. And we would understand that as a person of the Trinity or Jesus. This is the word of God. I would say it's the same person, Jesus of the Trinity. But I believe it to be a person that's approaching. If that's not a good enough argument for you, look at verse 9. We'll get to it in a minute, but just look ahead to it. He put out his hand and touched a beam. Somebody's there. Somebody has a hand and somebody's able to touch him. And that somebody is called the word of the Lord. Uh, God qualifies himself back here in the beginning with events that occurred before Jeremiah's birth. So he's qualifying his call based on these things beforehand. I formed you. That means to fashion like a, a potter would work clay into the shape that he wants it to be in. So he's saying, I fashioned you. I formed you. I knew you. That word knew is an intimacy word. It's almost like it is the same word as Adam and Eve when Adam knew his wife and she conceived and bore a child, uh, I'm not saying it's a sexual word. It's just an intimacy word. He's saying, I knew you. I consecrated you. Consecrate means to set apart or to actually entrust or gave you. I set you apart and I gave you as a prophet. That's what he's saying. I appointed you. That means he assigned something. I assigned something to you. All of that was before his birth. In fact, it says before his conception, God knew or was intimately acquainted with Jeremiah. Before his conception, it says. And then in the womb, God set him apart as a prophet, consecrated and appointed him. This is why, guys, abortion, the argument against abortion matters. I don't care how you feel about it. If you want to argue about it, I'm not going to have an argument. You can argue with God's word about it. That's why it matters. Read that again. I formed you. And and then just imagine the rest of the verse going like this. I formed you. I knew you. I consecrated you. I appointed you before your conception in the womb. Of course, with respect to your mother's right to choose and the hope that she wouldn't destroy you in the womb. That's not there. It matters. It matters. God's work in life begins before conception in this case. He calls him a prophet. Thus says the Lord. That's the definition of a prophet. Don't think about a fortune teller. Don't think about a guy who sees the future. It just means someone who says, thus says the Lord. I bring you the word of the Lord. That would be a prophet. When he talks about to the nations, he's talking about Israel and all of the nations that would interact with her. 
because there's about to be a time where a lot of nations are conquering the world, and in particular Israel. So Jesus gave us the same charge. You realize that? If you're a believer in Christ, you've been given the same charge. As one of his disciples, you were set apart. You're appointed to go to the nations. Remember what he said? You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Same thing. Go into all the world and make disciples, proclaiming the good news, proclaiming the kingdom, making disciples. Uh, David understood this whole calling thing centuries before Jeremiah's day. I can give you several, but I'll just give you a few. Psalm 22, verse 9, David wrote, Yet you, God, are he who took me from the womb. You made me trust you at my mother's breast. On you was I cast from my birth, and from my mother's womb you have been my God. Psalm 139, verse 13. Amazing couple of verses here. For you formed my inward parts, you knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it well. Um, Isaiah also wrote, verse or chapter 44, verse 2, Isaiah wrote, Thus says the Lord who made you, speaking to Israel, who formed you from the womb and will help you. Fear not, O Jacob, my servant. Verse 24, same chapter, he goes on to say, Thus says the Lord, your Redeemer, who formed you from the womb. I am the Lord who made all things. So in these passages I just read, as well as back with Jeremiah, it, 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 it reads poetically. So is he just being figurative? Is he just being illustrative when he says this thing? Or is he being literal? Does he mean Jeremiah was close to God, like as a spirit before he was born into a woman? His spirit existed and then he was born into a woman, but he doesn't remember being the spirit? Is that what God's saying here? Or, or does it mean that God's acquainted with who Jeremiah is going to be and so he's uh, planning ahead for that life and developing it in the womb. I, you know, Some would argue there's reincarnation. There's evidence for reincarnation here. I've heard that argument before. But there is no evidence to support that Jeremiah physically, literally lived in a previous life and now he's somehow getting a do-over. That's not, you know, that's not anywhere in the text. One thought to remember here is that God is outside of time, okay? He is in eternity. He is outside of time. And so are the souls of those who have died. They are outside of time. That's what eternity is. We tend to think of eternity as from my day forward. But it's not just the future. It's the past. It's the present. It's the future. It is to be outside the line of time. Past, present, future. You're outside of the line of time. Um, Hey, I get it, man. That can hurt your head. That can get a little mind-blowing. Uh, I'm not trying to push that too much, but that's a, a way to kind of think through this. But either way, don't get overwhelmed by trying to understand completely what God's saying here. The point that God is making is that he's sovereignly guiding his plan from start to finish. The choice of using Jeremiah was not throwing a dart at the wall. The point is that God is sovereignly guiding his plan from start to finish. Just like with Samson when he had that discussion. We've already talked about it with his mom and dad before he was even conceived. 
while his mom was still not able to have kids. Uh, Paul saw it this way in the New Testament, Galatians 1, verse 15. Paul said of himself, God speaking here, He who had God who set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the nations or the Gentiles. Same kind of language. And again, Paul wrote in, uh, in uh, Ephesians, we talked about this a couple of times, but I'll read it again because it fits well here. Ephesians 2.10, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Here's the deal. God's word is truly challenging. <laughs> that what I've just said to you ought to challenge you. God's word coming and saying, I set you apart. I knew you before you were conceived. All those kind of things, they should challenge you. God's word should challenge you. And for him to say, you are going to be my word to others. What if they have questions? What if they don't get? It should be a challenge for you. But when God's word challenges us, our words aren't good enough. Our own words are not good enough. Look at uh, verse 6, Jeremiah 1. Then I, Jeremiah, said, oh, Lord, that, or Lord God, that word God here in my Bible is all caps. It's that proper name again, oh, Lord Jehovah, oh, Lord Yahweh. Basically, he knows who he's talking to here. Behold, I do not know how to speak, for I am only a youth. But the Lord said to me, do not say I am only a youth, for to all whom I send you, you shall go. And whatever I command you, you shall speak. When he says that, ah, oh, that's fear. That's like overwhelming concern. Like, um, what? What? Lord God, what? That, that's what the awe is in there. Jeremiah is claiming youth as his limitation. And, and that's a, you know, that's a broad application of the word. What he's basically saying is his age, literally, numeric, we don't know what it is, but numerically, he won't be respected. I'm only 15, nobody will listen to me. That kind of thing. I'm only 12, nobody will listen to me. I'm only 16, nobody's going to listen to me. It, it also means his age physically, like with uh, Moses, the opposite of Moses and Abraham, who were very old. He's very young. He hasn't lived enough life physically. Nobody's going to listen to me. I don't have any gray in this hair. I haven't lived enough life at 15, 16, however old he is. I haven't lived enough life that anybody should listen to me. He's probably referring to being a youth in the sense of spiritually, his age spiritually. Uh, you know, I haven't developed enough disciplines yet. I don't practice enough spiritual disciplines yet, Lord. I haven't memorized enough scripture. I haven't been a believer long enough. I haven't, I haven't learned. I haven't had enough theology taught to me. Probably means youth in terms of maturity, his age in maturity here. I'm not able to handle this responsibility, God. I'm not able to handle this responsibility. Here's my question. Which one is your excuse? Which one's your excuse? But notice his actual objection here is not that he's too young. Look back at the verse. His actual objection is not too, that he's too young. That's how he qualifies his objection that he's young. The actual objection is, I don't know how. I don't know how. 
How often is that our objection? Hey, look, I would share my faith, but I don't know how. Uh, I, I would go tell people about Jesus, but I don't know how. I would teach the kids, man, but I don't know how. I would uh, lead a discipleship group, but I don't know how. I would go to the nations with the gospel, but I don't know how. Notice God's response is not a shoulder rub. He didn't rub them on the shoulder and give them a little pat on the back and say, Hey, you know what, Jeremiah, it's all good. Hey, man, whenever you're ready, it's cool. He doesn't say, uh, thanks for playing. Everybody's a winner just for competing. You know what? You're good. He doesn't say that. He gives him a series of commands in response. Do not, you shall, you shall direct commands. But in his defense, Jeremiah is a youth. So how is he supposed to do this? That's why God pointed out that his plan has been in place from before Jeremiah's birth. So his timing with Jeremiah in this moment is perfect. His age is only a limitation in his mind. God's saying, my timing is perfect. I set this up before you were born. So Jeremiah, your conditions right now don't matter. They don't matter. Or as Paul put it in 2 Corinthians twelve nine. Jesus said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in your weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. When I am weak, he is, makes me strong. He's the one who speaks. Fifty times as you go through the book of Jeremiah, at least, there's probably more than that, but I know of fifty times in 52 chapters where Jeremiah mentions that the word of God came to me and said to say to you. The word of God came to me and said to say to you. 50 times in 52 chapters. Clearly Jeremiah was more interested in God's words than his own. You know what I'm saying? Spurgeon wrote this. He said, The world needs believers who do not come to utter their own thoughts, but to deliver the master's message. Amen. I would add without excuses. When God's word challenges us, our words, our words aren't good enough, but his words are more than enough. Look at verse 8. He says, do not be afraid of them for what I am with you to deliver you, declares the Lord. Them here is Israel and future kingdoms. It'd be Babylon. There'd be reference to Egypt and other world kingdoms that are in there that he references. It would mean even more future kingdoms down the road that he references Perhaps even kingdoms that we in our lifetime have not seen yet. Um, that's the them. He's don't be afraid of them. And by saying that, God's acknowledging that fear is going to come. Jeremiah, you're going to be afraid, but but don't be. It clearly implies that sharing God's word here, that sharing God's word here will not not be lovingly welcomed by everyone everywhere. And God being there to deliver doesn't guarantee comfort and prosperity. Because in fact, with Jeremiah, the opposite happened. When God says, I will be there to deliver you, doesn't mean that I'm going to get you out of it. It means I'm going to walk through it with you. You won't be alone. Things, In fact, things got so difficult with Jeremiah that he would become known as the weeping prophet. Uh, he would get so frustrated that in chapter 20, he actually accuses God of forcing him to do this uh, and setting him up for failure. 
even reaches a point of confessing frustration with living altogether. Not not necessarily suicidal, but wishing he hadn't been born. He, he wrote in chapter 20, verse 15, Cursed, talking about his dad here, Cursed be the man who brought the news to my father, a son is born to you, making him very glad. Verse 17, he's saying, Why wasn't I killed in the womb so my mother would have been my grave? Verse 18, Why did I come out from the womb? So what he was put through by being faithful to that word Yes, the Lord was with him, but that didn't bail him out of anything. He still faced horrible struggles. Look at verse 9, Jeremiah 1, verse 9. Then the Lord put out his hand and touched my mouth. And the Lord said to me, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. See, I've set you this day, this day. So he set him here. He set him over these nations before it happened. He's saying, I set you there now before it even occurs. This day I have set you over nations, over kingdoms, to pluck up, to break down, to destroy, to overthrow, to build, to plant. Um, Jeremiah's call here is kind of like Moses and Isaiah in, in, in the way that he objects to it. you know. But it's also like both of them as well in the way that God responds. God says, I am with you. I will put my words in your mouth. Uh, it touches his mouth uh, like, the, like with Isaiah. Uh, God's word, though, is the object of the power here. It's God's word that is. They're only the vessels. They're only carrying God's word. Um, they're chosen for that purpose, but they only carry it. They're powerless without God's word, powerless without it. And they have a privilege to proclaim it regardless of the response. And it is a privilege. We're the same way, guys. I'm sorry, we're the same way. Exactly the same way. When people refuse to hear, though, when we have that privilege of proclaiming God's word and people refuse to hear, it's not a rejection of our words. It's not a a failure of our persuasive ability. It's not evidence that we have failed. It's a rejection of God's word, of the word of God, the person, of God himself. All right? And the opposite is also true, and this is the one we... Typically don't embrace. We'll embrace the other one. Yeah, you're just rejecting God, not me. But we don't usually embrace this one either because the other side is true as well. If they trust the word that they hear from us, it's not a celebration of our words. It is not a celebration of our persuasive ability all of a sudden. They have heard God's word and have believed it to be the word of God, and they've put their faith in the word of God, the person, and they've believed God. Notice uh, when God touched, it says, uh, I, he put out his hand and he touched me. Notice where he touches, not his heart, his mouth. He put his word in his mouth. The clear intent was that Jeremiah speak his word. It's not just about making Jeremiah uh, pure-hearted for Jeremiah's sake. The whole focus here is that Jeremiah would speak God's word. I, I, you know, one principle I always try to govern myself with when I'm teaching the word, and it's really hard with video for obvious reasons, but um, I try to watch and see how many times people's heads are going down. Not, not because they're falling asleep or passing out, I hope. Uh, I certainly would not be keeping count of that. But what I mean is 
it, for me, it helps. How many times are they looking down at the word? Because I'm telling them, look down at verse, look down at verse, look down at verse. I want to see heads looking down at God's word because I always want the weight of what is being said to be God's word and not my words. And I'm not saying that to brag. If anything, I'm saying that because I don't trust my words, but I trust his. I'd rather you take, you go home with his word, you know. And we're not giving Jeremiah's resume here. He's just... The guy God set apart before birth here, same for you or me. If you belong to Christ, by the way, you can look in his word and find that you as well are set apart, chosen before the foundations of the world if you belong to Christ. So let me ask you this. Do you think God comes and tells him this and there's just this bang magic moment and all of a sudden this little boy of 15, 17, I'm just guessing that's his age, let's say it is, uh, do you think he just suddenly knows all of God's word? It's all in there. He just got it all all of a sudden. No, we know he didn't. But what we do know is that he had a strong prayer life because a lot of it's recorded here. He had a strong relationship with the Lord because he spoke openly about his feelings even when he was angry with him. Um, he spent a lot of time in scripture because he references scripture. God's word became more clear to him too as you read where he's listening to God and he's learning and then proclaiming it, it is becoming more and more and more clear. That's what we do. You know, we call them spiritual disciplines, but the one that's uh, most ignored maybe is fasting, but I would put right up there with fasting, memorizing scripture. Most people don't want to do it. Oh, we don't have to do that now. My cell phone's got it. I could just ask Siri, you know. <laughs> Why bother? How many of you guys have already forgotten your wife's phone number or your kid's phone number because you don't have to do that anymore? Again, you ask Siri, you look in your phone book or, you know, on your phone, you look at your favorites and just hit the name and it dials the number. There's many reasons for memorizing God's word, guys, many reasons, and I could get into all of them. But rather than try to give you reasons to convince you to do it, let me point something out here that the objections you have to it are invalid. They're invalid. I can't memorize. I just, I can't do it. Oh, uh, oh, I don't have time, man. I don't, I don't have time to sit down and do that. My brain, it's messed up. My brain's messed up. Man, I did too many drugs or it dropped on my head when I was a kid or I've just, I've, I've been in a car wreck. Whatever it is, like my brain, I just, I can't do it. I'm too old. I'm too young. You know? If Listen to me. If you really want God's word in your heart, do you believe that he would oppose that? Do you believe he would oppose that? It's just the opposite. He will put his word within you. He will put it in you. But it also depends on what you intend to do with it. Uh, will it shape your life and will you share it? Will it shape your life and will you share it? Will you invest it in other people? Listen to me. If you do that, I guarantee you memorizing his word will come a lot easier than you think and will become a passion of your heart, man. When Jeremiah spoke the truth that he heard from God about the rise of Babylon and the destruction and fall of Israel and all these different things, he was beaten. He was in prison. All kinds of things happened to him. But when those things that he spoke of came to pass... 
when they actually happened, his word was proven true as a prophet of God. All right? God's word from his mouth proved true. Not him. God's word from his mouth proved true. This is why it's important that you say God's whole truth and only God's truth. Because only God's truth is guaranteed to be truth. There's a lot of, a lot of truths. <laughs> but in that way, he set him over the destiny of these nations. It wasn't that he had some kind of power to wield around and curse and all these things. What he's saying is that the word of God proved true, proclaimed through Jeremiah about and to all of these nations. And because of that, Jeremiah was a tool that was set in place by God to execute the rise and fall judgment of these different nations. And look, we know, we know what God's word says. We may not know names of specific kingdoms and things in our day and time, but we know truths from God's word. And when we proclaim those truths, look, we may face some really unpleasant consequences. We may especially by calling them God's word, but we can also trust that they will happen. It is the truth. He will stand on it. It will stand true, whatever it is you're saying from his word. And and listen, when that day comes, it'll be realized that, hey, listen, David was telling the truth. You were telling the truth. And it will show that God's word is our authority as well. All right? So, Proclaiming God's truth, it's a gift, guys. It's a gift. And his words are so much more sufficient than our words, no doubt. But it also comes with a personal challenge because the more we know his word, the more of a challenge it becomes for us and for the way that we proclaim it to others. But when we recognize our position, man, that we're chosen by God, that we're saved by the grace of God, and that as disciples of Christ, we are faithfully entrusted with his word. When you start thinking about those things, it makes you realize that your responsibility to speak his word stands even when you don't want to speak it. Even when you're worried about what you're going to say. But it's important that we do speak them without candy coating it without trying to make it relevant without trying to alter it to make it sound more modern uh, we accept that we're going to face hardships for what we stand on in his word God's own son faced a cross God's own son faced a cross for standing on the truth of the word what makes you think you're different what makes you think you're different or me well, let me get this out too. Just as God told Jeremiah, I will be with you, Jesus also said for us, I am with you always, even to the ends of the age. So let me close out with this. My first question really with all this is, do you really want his word? Do you want him to put his word in your mouth? Do you want his word? Do you hunger for his word already? Some verses that are great to me. Jeremiah 15, verse 16. Your words were found and I ate them. Your words became to me a joy and the delight of my heart. For I'm called by your name, O Lord, God of hosts. David wrote, well, we, we don't know if it's David or not. Most people believe it was. But in Psalm 119, the author, we'll call him David, wrote, verse 9. How can a young man like Jeremiah 
Keep his way pure by guarding it according to your word. Look how many times he says your word in this. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. That's the same idea. Word from your word. I've stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes or word. With my lips I declare all the rules or word of your mouth. In the way of your testimonies or word I delight. As much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts or word. And fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes or word. And I will not forget your word. Man, let me love it like that. Let me love it more like that. Maybe you feel like you have no purpose at all. Let me finish here. Maybe you feel like you have no purpose at all. Maybe you're wondering what life is all about anyway. Why do I even matter? Why does any of it matter? Maybe you're questioning what reason there is for life in the first place. I can't speak for science and how they'll attempt to explain that. I can't speak for other religions and how they'll attempt to explain that. But I can tell you that the God who created the heavens and the earth, which means you as well, I can tell you that he did so with intention. He did so with intention. And if nothing else, that gives you purpose, man. The fact that he created you with intention means you have purpose. But there's more. The weight that you feel that's sin. That weight that you feel is sin is the result of being separated from God in a fallen world. But he's a God who loves you. He is a God who loves you. And that's what the cross is about. For the wages of sin is death, the Bible says. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. Jesus is the son who was given in John 3.16. And he took your place in death. Took your sin And your death on that cross. And he made it possible for you to find forgiveness by faith. And when you embrace that forgiveness. When you embrace it. When you say Lord please forgive me. It comes with a mission. It comes with purpose. It comes with meaning. One that God made for you. Especially and only for you. Turn your life over to him. Do it today. Find that purpose. And shout at us, man. We want to know. Lord, I love you. I thank you for the privilege again of opening and talking through your word. I pray you're glorified in our lives as we share it with others. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.